Money FM 89.3, best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. Breaking news this morning, advanced figures for Singapore's first quarter GDP figures are out the picture. Not so pretty. The economy shrinking, shrinking 2.2% in the first three months of the year as compared with a year earlier and more than 10% if you compare it with the previous quarter. In addition, the financial ratings agency Moody's forecast said the world's 20 most industrialized countries will likely suffer a recession this year because of the pandemic. I'm speaking with Arun Pai, chief strategy officer at Asia Collect. And uh, we're going to find out what his thoughts are on everything the markets are talking about Arun, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Michelle. Thank you for having me. All right. Let's start with the advanced GDP figures at home by the Ministry of Trade and Industry, which shows that our economy shrank by 2.2% year on year in the first quarter of 2020. Does this come as a surprise to you, Arun? And uh, when do you expect to see any signs of recovery? Honestly, Michelle, I mean, the number 2.2, it doesn't surprise me. But then again, the range of uh, the GDP shrinkage could have been literally anywhere from like 1% to like 5%. Mm. And I do not think that we've seen the end of this. Uh, This is just going by my personal stories of talking to friends who own SMEs and other small businesses in Singapore. The situation has become extremely dire, especially when... Uh, the government came out, you know, as of yesterday saying that uh, there's going to be a clampdown in like bars, entertainment uh, venues, uh, etc. You will start seeing this massive, complete collapse of demand. Like it literally just drops your top line, your revenue just drops down to basically zero uh, overnight. Not to mention that in the past couple of weeks, it hadn't already taken a massive uh, dip already. So uh, the 2.2 number, you know, Fair enough, we put like a number to it right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just don't see until we find some kind of a more sustainable cure or a vaccine or a way to quickly medicate people who are in need. uh, You know, it's just going to be so random at that point in time that uh, just putting a number to it really doesn't really will not instill any confidence in investors, I feel. Grim times. We started the morning looking at the number of bankruptcies, asking if uh, they were going to rise since we were already seeing an uptick in the number of bankruptcies prior to COVID-19 hitting here in Singapore. But if, if there's, uh, you know, any good news for investors to cheer at, the shares of local banks are trading below their book values right now. DBS, UOB, OCBC, all trading down about 2% this morning. And over the past three months, DBS and UOB have both lost more than a quarter of their value. OCBC doing a bit better, but still deep in the red, down 20%, which generally speaking would seem to indicate they're good buys. Do you agree? So as a value investor, I definitely see a lot of value, uh, at least for DBS at these levels. Uh, And don't take me wrong, right? The the share price could easily crater another 20, 30, 40% from here. And that's a sizable number. So I think from investors' perspective, it's important to not take leverage at the stage, not get greedy just because the share price has dropped 25% means it will uh, come back to its, uh, you know, close to its all-time highs uh, with a massive V-shaped recovery. I think there is a couple of things here. Uh, firstly, as an investor, I definitely, uh, at least I personally feel that it makes sense to start dipping your toes, uh, especially for Singapore banks at these levels. 
That's because A, uh, just based on fundamental valuation, they seem reasonably attractive on a risk-reward basis. And on the other hand, like, what is the cause of this crisis, right? Obviously, the whole COVID uh, uh, virus. Now, what a company, what individuals, what citizens need is stability in the government, knowing fully well that as the lender of last resort, you will have a strong government in place who will take care of, obviously, the people, as well as the SMEs and companies within the economy. And if you look around at how the world has deteriorated in the past, I, since the last time we talked about a week ago, mm-hmm. uh, my personal confidence lies, honestly, in the Singapore government to ensure that it will look out for uh, its various constituents, the people, citizens, as well as its companies. So I think of all the other uh, publicly traded instruments that are out there, I definitely feel that uh, some of them in the Singapore stock listed in the Singapore Stock Exchange are definitely more attractive on a risk-reward basis as compared to uh, potential investment opportunities outside. So as I mentioned, we started the morning off talk, looking at the number of bankruptcies and asking if that number is likely to rise and in which sectors. With the economy slowing, Arun, do the banks need to be worried about companies who can't pay off their loans or individuals who can't pay their mortgages? Do you have any concerns at all about the banks being hit by bad debt? So it's interesting, you know, being part of Asia Collect, which is a fintech company uh, that does ethical debt collection, Mm -hmm. we are definitely facing uh, the brunt of that because, you know, obviously in a situation like this, you need the government to support its financial institutions and uh, ergo also its people, the citizens. So the measures that have been taken place in Malaysia, Indonesia, East Europe, even the US, is basically the central bank instructing all the financial institutions to provide all sorts of debt forgiveness, uh, dropping the loan covenants, uh, not being that stringent in terms of non-performing loan ratios on their balance sheet, so that there is no cascading effect of banks potentially pulling credit lines, uh, stopping uh, credit to flow into companies that are now desperately in need of that. And I think that's an absolute requirement. Will that affect banks' balance sheets? Yes, it will. But that being said, uh, banks were in a position of, I would dare I say, extreme power and stability, especially in the US and Singapore, to potentially weather this kind of a massive correction. Don't take me wrong, if this goes on for like six months to a year, which is also now highly possible, uh, there's a massive question mark at that point. But at the end of the day, as an investor, you have to evaluate risk-reward. And at these levels, I definitely feel that banks are an attractive proposition, at least to Singapore and U.S. ones. All right. So we've also had reports that the bank has have had vociferous appetite buying back their shares. In fact, our sister publication, The Business Times, had a great story about this. Over the past three weeks, DBS purchased at least $370 million worth of its own shares. OCBC and UOB have spent another $35 million between them. Again, would you say this is an indication that the banks have faith in their own value at these prices? <laughs> so that's a very interesting question. Now, obviously, as an investor uh, of DBS personally, I take that as a massive uh, show of support and strength for its own stock. But that being said, uh, from a perspective of a citizen and what the world needs right now, 
it could there could be an argument that says uh, that capital could potentially be better utilized by ensuring uh, the long-term sustainability and survival of SMEs and industries rather than potentially providing some kind of a floor to the share price. And it, it's a double-edged sword, right? I mean, look at the amount of um, hatred Boeing has come under where mm-hmm. this company basically bought close to something like $40 billion worth of stock uh, over the past three or four years. And now it's coming hat in hand to the government requesting uh, for a massive bailout. Just for a guide, uh, the market cap of Boeing right now is just under $100 billion. And about a week ago was something like 65 or $70 billion. Mm. So, and, and not to mention that they did anything wrong, right? Because who could have ever envisioned a situation like this? Indeed. But it's important that corporates at the end of the day do not try and maximize pure shareholder value in the interest of providing much larger bonuses to its executives because their compensation is directly tied to the underlying share price. But then when times get tough, they always go hat in hand back to the government requesting for a bailout. I think banks, especially the US ones, had to go through that in 2008. And I just hope that uh, the Singapore ones are not, uh, you know, pulling the trigger a bit too quickly on this, not fully knowing what the complete after effects are or what the aftermath of this uh, COVID crisis is going to be. That is a great point. Arun Pai is Chief Strategy Officer at Asia Collect. We're talking about everything the market is talking about this morning. And creating quite a buzz this morning is news that SIA has requested a halt in the trading of its shares this morning, pending an announcement. SIA shares last traded at $6.50 per share, down nearly 22% this month. It's lost one-third of its value in the past year. Now, Arun, sources say over in Malaysia that Malaysia is exploring the possibility of bailing out domestic airlines that have been hit hard by the outbreak. And in Malaysia, possibly setting up a vehicle to take over the debt of companies like Malaysia Airlines, Air Asia Group, Berhad. Could the same happen here? And what would this mean for investors? Right. So, I mean, the airline industry is obviously uh, at the forefront of uh, bearing the brunt of the after effects of the COVID crisis. If you look at uh, IATA, which is the global airline industry, I think like about last late last month, they came out with this number of $113 billion, which is going to be the effect of lack of uh, the, the drying up of revenue for the calendar year of 2020. That number, 113 billion, has more than doubled where they came out yesterday, saying that uh, the global uh, airline industry as a whole will suffer a revenue shrinkage of $252 billion. So obviously there are such massive numbers being thrown about that uh, the survival of an airline, which is such a highly leveraged entity, uh, is going to be called into question. So a a 20% share price drop just this month is not surprising to anyone in the markets, I would say. And again, as the lender of last resort, uh, the government has to step in. And that's potentially what it's going to be uh, in some kind of combination of potentially even equity infusion with warrants or a massive uh, loan or debt issued to the airline with a lot of loan forgiveness in terms of no interest or no principal to be repaid over the next one to two years until this 
uh, virus uh, subsidized. Indeed. All right. Time to switch gears and look at what's happening over in the U.S., U.S. Federal Reserve and U.S. Central Bank, well, they've they released a volley of measures to boost liquidity in financial markets to cushion the economic fallout. Do you think this added stimulus has helped with recovery? Um, most definitely. I mean, what the Fed came out uh, on uh, Monday was something that I had not seen when I was part of Lehman Brothers in 2008. Mm-hmm. It has been such a massive unleashing of credit, which don't take me wrong, is highly required during times like this, where basically companies top line, the revenue just basically drops down to zero uh, for the foreseeable couple of weeks to maybe even two to three months. So it was definitely required, uh, you know, QE Unlimited, uh, where it was a combination of traditional QE, helping buying uh, credit in the primary space, in the secondary space, to certain qualified companies. I think the Fed has pretty much done what it has to do. It's dropped rates down to zero. It's told the markets, look, I am there for you guys, at least to the investors and to the companies for that matter, through these primary and secondary funds, uh, credit funds that they, it, they have set up. It's told a very clear signal that I am there for you. The markets rallied the past couple of days uh, on the back of that and along with other central banks coming out with similar equivalent Uh, news from their side, it's given a little bit of a breather to investors to reassess the situation, potentially at least scale down your leverage at this point of time, Mm. and try and adopt a little bit more of a wait and see approach. While people who potentially had a little bit more cash luckily saved, they can potentially look at like dipping their toes at these levels. Have we seen the end of this? Uh, You know, it's anyone's guess, but I definitely feel that the Fed has done a fantastic job. Now, coming to the other part of the question, which is uh, the government, right? Uh, at least the U.S. House and Senate. Headlines of a massive $2 trillion uh, package, which is obviously uh, something the market has definitely priced in. And what, with the initial bit of scare that this might not go through, uh, word started trickling out of the Senate at least uh, yesterday and day before that uh, an agreement has been reached. The problem always is a verbal agreement is very different from, uh, at the end of the day, this uh, bill coming onto Trump's desk and him signing it. The I still need to be dotted, the T still need to be crossed. And that is where there can be a lot of scuffling, which hopefully doesn't lead to a situation like, again, back in 2008, when uh, the vote for uh, in the House got uh, denied for providing a massive, for providing TARP which was basically like a $700 billion package to banks, SMEs, individuals, uh, to ensure that the complete uh, credit markets back then don't shut down. Here we're dealing with a little bit more, uh, or I would say a lot more uh, complicated a situation where you can potentially have unemployment, who knows, right? Going from anywhere from like 10% to like 25%. The numbers are extremely uh, varied because no one has a real idea of what the actual effects of this virus are eventually going to be. Mm. So you have all these cases where, uh, you know, you, then you start going through the fine print of this agreement where yesterday uh, four Republicans came out saying, uh, going through this bill, uh, there are these statements that basically say that the unemployment, uh, the benefits provided to unemployed workers can be potentially higher than people who are actually working 
which leads to, uh, you know, how do you incentivize a person who is in, say, for example, working in critical infrastructure to not continue working when they know that they can potentially be, uh, they can file for unemployment and they can get a much higher salary. But then on the other hand, you have the Democrats that are extremely concerned about the oversight of these loans being provided to companies. And yesterday, for example, the S&P dropped like 100 points in the last hour because Bernie Sanders came out saying that in the current form, uh, there's just not enough help being provided to individuals. And all you're doing is basically enriching the pockets of executives. Mm. So the equity markets crashed by like uh, or dropped by like three to four percentage points just because Bernie Sanders gave that message. Now, don't take me wrong. uh, I think all of this scuffling is happening because the equity markets have had a very decent rally in the past couple of days. So the gun is not pointed at the heads of uh, the Senate and uh, the House. If we see some kind, a lot more friction in this aspect and word comes out to the market that this bill might not be passed in this form for the next couple of days, we can easily see a massive correction again. All right, let's put that bickering behind us. SoftBank, <laughs> SoftBank, you know, we could do a whole show on what is SoftBank? Is it a bank? What is it? It's a tech conglomerate. Uh, it's pretty cranky these days. It's hit out at credits, credit ratings agency Moody's after Moody's downgraded it by two notches. And uh, SoftBank's taken the unusual step of asking for the ratings to be withdrawn. But listen, let's look at SoftBank shares. They surge as much as 21%, uh, as by 21% in Tokyo trading Tuesday. That's their biggest intraday gain since going public. And that surge amid reports that the investment company is going to sell a 14 billion US dollar stake in Chinese e-commerce giant Alibaba. Uh, why is SoftBank under pressure now and is it expected to sell off stakes in some of its other investments as well? So it's, uh, you know, obviously the stock is something that uh, we have talked about and, uh, you know, you when you have a massive investment in a company like WeWork that goes from a 45-50 billion valuation to close to bankruptcy to an 8 billion valuation, it seems like a couple of billion dollars here or there makes means nothing in the private markets these these days. But yeah, at the end of the day, uh, you know, SoftBank through its Vision Fund uh, has taken these massive punts, uh, dare I say, into the private market space. And during credit crises, during times like this, when unemployment can shoot up, uh, because of the nature of this crisis, the whole concept of a sharing economy uh, is basically dashed to the ground where people do not want to be sitting in a cab with a couple of other people. They do not want to be going to an office space that is open, that has 50 or 80 workstations in close proximity with each other. It is, uh, you know, and on top of that, you have uh, the parent company, in this case, SoftBank, being massive, uh, having issued a whole host of uh, debts or bonds in the past couple of years to try and raise the capital uh, to pump into these funds, there will naturally be a massive correction. And in terms, if you look at pure numbers, in terms of valuation, while the company might be, uh, you know, I would dare I say undervalued, but at the end of the day, the biggest problem is the founder or the owner of the company has this 300-year vision of trying to ensure that his vision fund does really well and is in the purposes of trying to raise a second fund. But now, uh, given the massive uh, credit crisis, 
the massive COVID crisis that's happening in the marketplace, he has no choice but to sell down some of his crown jewels. And the biggest one was Alibaba. Mm. Now, had he, you know, had this been a little bit more of a rational uh, owner of the company, I would say three to six months back, if your vision or if your idea of trying to run the company is to ensure that uh, you, you know, identify undervalued private companies, uh, you focus on the telco aspect of your business, which is highly profitable and cash generative, uh, and you want to focus on that, that's great. You know, sell off all these publicly traded stocks uh, that you have and uh, focus only on that. But now you obviously have all his publicly traded stocks that have also taken a 30, 40% hit. So you're putting a massive selling pressure into the market right now at prices that have already corrected substantially. And then you're trying to hope that that will offset the massive cash burn that the entire conglomerate is going through right now. It'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, honestly, uh, any lever- not just soft, not picking on just SoftBank, but any leveraged company in this uh, environment right now, where the next three to six months, you can easily see your top line dropping down to zero or close to zero. Uh, leverage is definitely not your friend during times like this. So it will be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, Netflix is my friend in times like this, really. I'm a huge sports fan. So when I heard the Tokyo Olympics was cancelled, I breathe a sigh of relief. It's the right thing to do. We all know that. The athletes who are not going know that as well. They're putting off training, um, putting off their dreams, at least for a year. But I want to ask you from the economic side of things, the Tokyo Olympics being cancelled, how do you see this impacting Japan's economy? Okay, so I think there are like there are two aspects to uh, you know Olympics or a massive sporting event being held in a country. Firstly, is uh, a massive build out of infrastructure, mm. which obviously helps a whole ho- which helps a whole host of SMEs, local companies, from cement to manufacturing, uh, to try and scale up this infrastructure. And on the other side, you have uh, tourism related spending, where you have hundreds of thousands or millions of people. Uh, coming uh, to your country, obviously attending all the events, uh, spending money, travel, F&B, tourism, etc., uh, gets a massive boost. The former was pretty much already done, right? So uh, while the Olympics were going to be held over the summer, uh, this is not, it's not an overnight thing. The country was obviously preparing for this a year, two years in advance. So we saw a lot of benefits of that already percolating into the economy. The tourism-related spending is obviously is going to be uh, as disappeared because mm. the Olympics has been postponed. But now, on the flip side, if, for example, a scaled-down version of this game had taken place and that did become the next epicenter for the COVID virus, that would kill the country, right? Like, no one would ever bother to organize an event over there again because right. everyone would say that you're just holding your own... Uh, requirements and needs over uh, that of the world. Mm. In terms of absolute numbers, the boost of the entire Olympics would have been something like 0.2% to the GDP. And as you saw in Singapore's numbers today, what we're going to be seeing in US numbers coming up soon, the COVID crisis is like many, many magnitudes of that. So let's focus on the issue at hand. And I think it was a great, uh, it was a responsible thing to do. Absolutely. No, no other way. Totally agree with you. Thank you as always for those fantastic insights. We love speaking with you. He's Arun Pai, Chief Strategy Officer at Asia Collect AI. Before acting on the information on Money FM. 
please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.